You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And today, really excited to connect again with Steph Strack. She is the founder and the CEO of Voice in Sport, an incredibly experienced executive in the world of sports and apparel and culture and and so many things. I got a chance to catch up with her last year when Voice in Sport was just launching. Steph, it's great to have you back. How are you? What's going on? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be here with all three of you guys. Um, you know, we're we're staying busy. We we've launched a year ago almost, and we have a lot going on. Adding some new services to the Voice and Sport platform, which we're excited to talk about today. And we had an exciting announcement last month with um, our leadership advocacy team. So lots going on, and you know, now more than ever, these girls need our support um, in the sports industry as COVID continues. So excited to be here today. Thank you. One of the great things about Voice and Sports, it brings up a much-needed topic, to put it in the forefront, about gender inequities in youth and amateur sports. Can you talk about that? One of the things I I had noticed uh, when you send over a fact is that colleges have denied female athletes more than $972 million, $972 million in scholarships, compared to their male counterparts. The question is simply, why? Yeah, I think um, this is a big reason why I started Voice in Sport. You know, I didn't realize how little progress had been made at some of the amateur levels. I mean, we talk a lot about equal pay for professional athletes, and there's surely a lot of things that we still need to work on at the pro level. But, yes, when you dig down deep into, like, what's happening at the NCAA for these collegiate athletes, you realize that there's so many more inequities still to uncover and to change. So it's unfortunate, but even though Title IX has done some tremendous things for us and for women's sports in the United States, there's still this disproportionate um, amount of opportunities that go to male athletes. And even in 2019, it was still 87% of NCAA schools offered more athletic opportunities to male athletes than female athletes. And, and we've got a lot to work to do. So why is that happening? And I think when it comes down to the leaders in the positions of those schools, and even though you have Title IX in place, there's not enough enforcement and regulation that's happening at the local level. And so it's one of the main major platform initiatives for us at Voice and Sport is to create this new kind of grassroots on-the-ground team that is educated on Title IX, that knows how to enforce Title IX, um, that can run the three-pronged test themselves, and who can actually work with their administrators on the ground to call out those inequities. So, you know, I think um, it's unfortunate that those the inequities are still happening, but we've got a plan now in place at Voice and Sport to try to try to have a grassroots initiative really tackle those things on the ground. Hey, Steph, it's Mike Lynch up in Boston. I, I, I see your target age for the, these young women are 13 to 22, but are you going after the, the college athlete who's going to get a scholarship, the elite athlete, the casual athlete, or just the girl that's, that, that wants to play maybe, you know, until high school and that's the end of it? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I I grew up as a competitive athlete. 
a soccer player and a ski racer. And I now looking back, having a seven year old daughter and uh, working with a lot of young women and building voice in sport, our goal is to keep girls in sport. So, you know, unfortunately, the dropout rate is still continuing at that age of 14. It's such a critical age for young girls, and girls are dropping out of sport at two times the rate of boys at age 14. And and so our main goal is to keep these girls in sport. So, you know, although we would love to see young women going on to reach professional level and collegiate level sports, the goal is really just to keep them in the sport. If they can have a better experience, a better journey, keep them in past that age of 14 when they're really dropping out. We believe that sport can, like, develop amazing leaders. And ultimately, you know, we want more women in the sports industry and leadership positions, more CEOs that are females. And I really believe, from my experience in sport, that the longer you stay in it, the stronger you're going to get and the more leadership skills you're going to develop. So, you know, we, we offer a little bit of everything in our community. When you join, you have access to all sorts of mentors. And the Viz League is made up of Division Three mentors, Division Two, One, and then, you know, athletes that are headed to the Olympics here in Tokyo. And so, Steph, you know, part of this is the, the economics of playing even at an amateur level. And I know you guys have been involved in, you know, what is one of the most fascinating and important topics for the past few years, but seems to be coming to some sort of a head in, in a positive way this year, which is the whole uh, notion of name, image, and likeness and, and compensation around that. I know you guys have been involved in, in advising and, and weighing in on that. Help us understand the whole name, image, and likeness piece of this, because it does play into the economic equity or the potential for some economic uh, equity for men and women. That's right. I mean, you know, unfortunately, still, since the the professional leagues are not as developed for women's sports in the United States, college is an area where women could potentially be making some of their biggest monetary achievements when it's related to sports. So, you know, the fact that today they cannot earn any of their of their money from their name, image, and likeness in college is a huge, um, you know, disadvantage. And it does affect all athletes. And so, simply put, name, image, and likeness, um, it describes the rights of basically publicity. So does the athlete have the right to their name, image, and likeness and use that to gain um, monetary benefit during their during their time in college. And right now, um, all college athletes, regardless of gender, are considered to be amateur athletes. And we are pushing at Voice in Sport for all athletes, including, you know, all genders, every, everyone who identifies whichever gender, um, that they actually can have that ability to make money while they're in school. And it is really important for female athletes because usually those are the non-revenue sports, um, they're also usually maybe the last stop for them in terms of um, their athletic journey, unfortunately. And so it's so important to allow them to receive that individualized compensation um, during those four years, sometimes five years in, in college. If I could follow up on that, I mean, I, I think, stuff about like the women's basketball, especially, I mean, that is, you, know, you mm-hmm. think about UConn, you think about Tennessee, you think about, you know, some of these programs, as you say, and, and I want to talk about the WNBA in a few minutes, but, you know, women's college basketball, the, the college level often is when, you know, the Rebecca Lobos and, and others, you know, really reach their, their zenith in terms of recognizability and, and marketability. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it. you then go on to the WNBA and you don't, you know, unfortunately, like salary caps are much lower um, in the WNBA than they are in the NBA. So even that earning potential when you get to the pro levels is not as great. So it's so important in those years um, of college to have that ability to capitalize on all that hard work that got you there in the first place. So, you know, I mean, we're huge, um, huge fans of name, image, and likeness, and we had the opportunity to get our Viz uh, leadership team in front of Senator Murphy um, last week, actually, to discuss name, image, and likeness. And, and there are some areas that we're, you know, we're concerned about. We want to make sure that these non-revenue sports, that they don't lose out on resources. I think that that can probably be pretty detrimental. Um, we also want to make sure that all of the, you know, all of the um, increased agents and advisory influences that, the, that, that these athletes are going to be faced, that, that everybody has the opportunity to get educated around those things. What does it mean to, to walk into a contract? Um, what should you think about when you're meeting with a brand? Um, so there's a lot, I think, of education to happen. We want to make sure that education is provided to everybody, not just you know the most elite football players or the top basketball players. I apologize for the bluntness of the question because this is a very important topic. But as for you guys, how do you guys make money out of your business model? Oh, voice and sport. Well, you know, we launched, Jason had this question for me back in August. We did launch um, a free model. (laughs) So I'm glad, I'm happy to say that, you know, it was a really tough time when we launched. Um, COVID-19 was just ramping up in the summer. A lot of programs were being cut across the country at all levels. And I think it was really important to offer um, our services for free. We did hold back on launching some of our services until um, this next April. So we have a, we launched with a free model, providing free mentorships with the Viz League. So all of our professional athletes and college athletes, we've been paying the professionals, not paying the college athletes because of name, image, and likeness, unfortunately, um, but offering those services to young girls for free. And in about a month, and so this April in 2021, we will be increasing our services, offering access to sports psychologists and sports nutritionists experts on the Viz platform. And so we'll be moving to a freemium model, and there'll be ranges of membership fees from $15 a month to $90 a month, depending on how much um, you want to access on the Voice and Sport platform. So we are we're sort of moving in that direction, Jason. <laughs> and I'm proud to say we're also paying um, the, the female athletes um, along the way because that's really important too. So, Steph, uh, do, you have, do you have any idea how many of the free subscribers you'll be able to retain? Uh, has anybody uh, jumped in or signed up, or is this going to be cross your fingers when uh, you get to April? No, I think we we just started the conversations um, this last week, actually, with club teams. So we're meeting with club teams. We will also be providing the voice and sport platform to colleges and universities. Um, You know, I think that if you look at what's happening right now around mental health, it's it's pretty concerning. Some of the numbers that have been reported Um, just looking at the NCAA, one of their most recent studies on well-being survey for NCAA students and Mental health is one of the most concerning um, areas that we see, as well as disordered eating. And unfortunately, for for women, for female athletes, that reported disordered eating is up to 41.5%. 
And if you ask um, what the kind of the most concerning age groups for suicide rates right now, it is that 18 to 24 um, year old rate. So we there's some, some pretty serious things going on right now. And when you ask female athletes how to access mental health services, 55% of them don't know where to go to get help. So we're actually going to be selling in our platform, not just to individuals, but to club teams around the U.S. and the universities. And we, we're super excited. We just started those conversations last week. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the the club aspect of this too. We had a great conversation, uh, Lynchy and I did last week with Ben Sherwood, who's just launched Mojo. You can check that out on our podcast mm-hmm. feed, Shameless Plug. Um, and I know that that uh, that's an area that has been, as you've said, Steph, really underrepresented or under um, sort of underutilized, underexposed when you think about youth sports. And we know uh, the economics there are, are pretty intense and, and the economic potential there is pretty intense. I, I want to go back to the WNBA if we can and, and pick up on something that, that you said around leadership um, and the importance of women in leadership roles. There was huge news in the WNBA last week with the ownership change in my hometown in Atlanta with the Atlanta Dream and Renee Montgomery former player being mm-hmm. part of not just the ownership group, but part of the management as well. That is seismic in, in many ways. I know, I believe and keep me honest here, Steph, Elizabeth Williams from the dream is, is part of your network. I do wonder what you have made of some of the kind of economics and activism that we've seen in the WNBA, because even since we last spoke, it's been pretty remarkable to watch, even just thinking about what the dream did when it came to the Georgia election. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Elizabeth Williams, and she's a Viz League member, so she mentors young girls on our platform. And she's also a huge voice in the advocacy efforts that we've been taking um, over the last year. And it's, it is amazing to see the progress um, with the new bargaining agreement. Um, however, there's still just a huge gap. I think when yeah. you speak to the women in the league, it was like, it's, a, it's been the best way to look at it is like progress, but not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the consistent theme I hear from the players. Um, I think the, the great thing about what happened in the last year, aside from like a step forward in the bargaining agreement rights was how they're treating mothers and how they're treating women who want to get pregnant during their their um, careers, which is a great thing to see. But the reality is the pay and the opportunities is still not enough. These women are having to go overseas, international, to finish out, even to for them to have a salary, if you will, that's somewhat comparable to the men. And so that that's a huge, um, you know, sacrifice that these women have to make that the men don't really have to deal with. They can kind of go into their one season, hit it home, and and then, you know, train for the next one with their families. And the women instead are, okay, am I going to Turkey? Am I going to China? Where am I going? Um, and arguably, they make more money overseas than they do here. So you have to ask yourself, why? Yeah. Why is it that, like, the best players in the world cannot get the highest pay here in the United States? So, I'm, you know, I think that we we are definitely have um, women from the WNBA on the Voice in Sport advocacy leadership team, and they will be with us in Washington, D.C. as we plan some of our first two Capitol Hill days here in 2021. I'd like to ask about diversity and inclusion. There are two facts you guys brought up. One, 
Female head coaches of women college programs, it dropped from 90% in 1971, according to what you are telling us, to only 43% in 2017. And then the second topic, girls of color in urban and rural areas, drop out of sports two times than suburban white girls. Can you expand more on that? Yeah, let's start with the coaches one. I think, you know, Title IX did so many amazing things, right? I mean, there's so so much more opportunity that was created out of Title IX um, for women's sports in public institutions. However, I think what ended up happening on the coaches' side is that those, those positions became open, and there was this huge shift of men going for those roles, and, and then it's sort of just like the rest of the sports industry uh, it followed, if you will. If you look, take a look at the sports industry on the brand side or the media side, you also have the same um, percentage of male leadership versus women leadership at the top. And it's really been amazing to see some of the shifts of the last year um, with some of the general management shifts, bringing more women in those leadership positions. But um, it, it's kind of just following suit, I guess, with the rest of the industry. And we have a lot of work to bring more female coaches into those roles, especially female coaches of color, because um, it's important for, for young girls to see those role models in those positions. So lots of work still to do there, and we're, you know, we're a huge proponent of supporting those women in those positions. On the, the second fact, it is super concerning. We, a big part of our mission at Voice and Sport is to make sure that we're offering part of our services to, to those young girls who cannot afford it. So it's a big reason why we also launched for free and why, as we continue to build Voice and Sport, we'll have a free portion of what we offer. So most of all of our content is free. The community access to Voice and Sport is free. The ability to have peer mentoring is free. Um, all of that is so important because these young girls um, do not have the, the means to access these resources. And, yeah, it's super, super concerning to see that disparity between young black girls. So part of what we're going to be offering on Voice and Sport is scholarships um, and free memberships so that these young girls can have access to some of these elevated services. So if you're an organization out there that ha- that is trying to um, get younger girls, younger black girls into sports, especially predominantly white sports like lacrosse, soccer, swimming, then please reach out to us at Voice and Sport because we will be creating these um, programs specifically for that group um, of young female athletes that need access and currently don't have the resources to get it. Steph, do you have investors or financial backing to sustain um, all these you know, free services that you're going to continue to offer uh, so many of uh, the people that have been underserved? I love that question. We, um, we, I am self-funding um, Voice and Sport platform. Um, I had the op- great opportunity to work for Nike for 14 years and then as the CEO of Rag & Bone. So I have been self-funding the company. Um, now moving to the freemium model where we'll be paying or we'll be charging young girls and families for access to some of our elevated services. We hope to create a very sustainable business model uh, for the future of Viz. Um, at the same time, we are in some discussions with some amazing brands that want to provide 
um, sponsorships through memberships to young girls. So um, some of those we will be announcing in the next couple months. And anyone else out there that's interested in investing through sponsoring young girls and their memberships to Voice and Sport, we would love to have conversations with them. So, Steph, just as as we wrap up, you know, there was one thing you, you just mentioned there that I wanted to to drill in, and if, if we can, which is your experience at Nike, because you were there for for quite some time, and and you understand the the economics of women and girls and apparel, and especially athletic apparel. How have you seen that evolve, especially in the years since you've been at Nike? Because part of this, candidly, and this is the business of sports. This is good business. This is a market of, you know, of girls and and young women who then go on to be adult women who have a lot of purchasing power and who may not be professional athletes, but are weekend warriors of a sort or, you know, continuing to invest in their own uh, health and wellness. So help help us understand how that has evolved and, and the lens through which you see this, you know, having seen it up close and personal at Nike. Yeah, I think this is one of the most underserved areas, actually, across the sports industry. And it's it's a reason why, when I left, I think it just became even more glaringly obvious that, wow, like, who, what, who else is out there creating stuff specifically for these girls and dedicating their entire company to doing that? And I think that's why I saw the opportunity. I think that um, at these larger companies, it's always on the agenda. Um, it just is not always the focus. Mm. And, and so I think to your, to your earlier point, Jason, the purchasing power, the, the passion, um, the virality of um, essentially bringing these girls together and creating a community, I think will have a pretty big impact long term. So we definitely see this as an area that is underrepresented as well as underfunded and something that definitely has the power to drive a huge amount of change um, in the industry, as well as a huge amount of business, not just right away, but in the future. So um, I'm excited to see what this community is going to lead to. I mean, I think the reason why I started with these services is because I felt like nobody was offering it to them. So, I mean, can you name another, um, can you name another digital platform that's creating content specifically for them in their voice? That's cool and fun and useful. That yeah. yeah. you know, no. I can't. You no. know, can no, you name another exist. digital mentoring service? Like I can't. You know, so I think that it's untapped, and we're excited that we're kind of the first ones to this. But I, w- I really hope that more more people decide to invest in women's sports because there's so much potential, and just there hasn't been enough focus. Well, Steph, it was really, really good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Uh, Great to get an update and obviously more to come on so many of these issues. And uh, we look forward to to catching up in the not too distant future. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me um, on this podcast. I really appreciate it. And my last last thing I would love to say is just that we have a really big goal of 23,000 biz advocates by the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And it is going to be one of the largest grassroots initiatives um, for girls and women in sport ever. But it's going to take a mountain of people to help us get there. So if you know of a, an amazing female athlete who cares about equality and driving change, head them, you know, shout them out to go to voicesport.com uh, to become a biz advocate. Well, we are rooting for you. Thank you so much, Steph. 
This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again as the week goes on. We're going to bring you our conversation with NBA legend and, yep, Georgetown Hoyas head coach Patrick Ewing. That drops on Wednesday. And later on in the week, we're going to catch up with Randy Levine, president of the New York Yankees. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.